Hey everybody. Today, a teenager runs away to join the circus. We discuss great monster makeup. And we ask the question, how do you bounce a kid off a planet's atmosphere? Stay tuned to find out. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hi, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 18, entitled Coming of Age. This episode was written by Sandy Fries and directed by Mike Vehar. The star date is 41416.2, and the original air date was March 14th, 1988 which every time I see dates like that, it just kind of brings me back like, where was I as a six-year-old <laughs> when this was airing? Yeah, I, I had just turned four um, <laughs> like two months before that. So I was probably watching this episode. <laughs> Maybe you were, you might've been. Well, when I saw who had written this episode, I don't know anything about the writer other than his or her name, I'm not sure, is Sandy Fries. And I thought, that is the coolest name. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like something from the Magic School Bus. <laughs> yep. yep. I thought that was kind of cool. All right. Let's just sink our teeth into this plot. This episode is the beginning of that conspiracy story arc, which I know you love. And, it's, and it doesn't really give us a whole lot, but it gives us like something something. We know something is off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Captain Picard greets his friend, Admiral Gregory Quinn, and his assistant, Lieutenant Commander Dexter Remick, who's a total dick, aboard the Enterprise. <laughs> 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 I'll get into that. For, <laughs> for classified reasons, Quinn has ordered Remick to perform an investigation of the Enterprise and its crew and expects Picard to fully cooperate. Remick's inquiry causes tension in the crew, particularly when he questions the trustworthiness of the senior staff based on their personal logs and past actions. Meanwhile, Wesley Crusher prepares to take the Academy entrance exam. He succeeds in passing several parts of the exam and helps Mordock, a highly talented Benzite and fellow competitor, to solve a difficult test problem so that we both advance. So, Sharice, let me just jump in. I only have one little bit of trivia for this episode. There was a scene that did not make it to the final cut of the crew celebrating Wesley's 16th birthday because they were presuming mm-hmm. that he wouldn't be on the ship at the time due to joining the Academy. And I really wish we could have seen that. That would have been so sweet. That would have been really sweet. I know. It would have been the weirdest 16 year old's birthday ever. Cause I feel like there would have been no kids. No, there would have been no kids and Captain Picard would have been awkward as hell, but yeah. I feel like it still would have been really sweet. It would have been sweet. Maybe <laughs> he could have had a banner. That's a right? Wesley Crusher day. Or maybe family love Wesley. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. Oh, well. That's an arrested throwback, but whatever. <laughs> yes. If you guys haven't noticed, we are big fans of arrested development and we probably quote something from that show in every one of our TNG episodes. Or The Office. Or The or Office. The office. For sure. So, so look, look for those little <laughs> Easter eggs if you're fans of either of those shows. Okay. Overall thoughts about this episode? Um, I like that it starts that story arc of conspiracy. I like that there's some sniffing around and we don't totally know like where it's going to lead. Um, mm-hmm. I do like that Remick, who's a complete horrible, awful person to deal with. He does ask very pertinent questions about mm-hmm. past episodes, like where no one has gone before, like Captain Picard lost control of the ship and you guys ended up in the M33 galaxy. And then in, in justice, you broke the prime directive by fiddling around at the Edo. Like there, mm-hmm. and those were questions I feel like were valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when I first started watching the episode, like when it opened and we'll get into the beat by beat, um, I was like, what the heck is this episode about? 
I don't remember this at all. What is going on? And then when I saw Remick come on board, I was like, oh my gosh, I was so excited. I was like, here we start the story arc that ends with conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited about it because this is the only story arc, as far as I remember, but I guess I'll see if this is true. But as far as I remember, this is the only story arc in all of season one. Mm-hmm. So far, they've just been these one-off stories. Each yep. episode has nothing to do with the episode before, has nothing right. to do with the episode after, which is totally fine. That's that's normal and expected for you know any kind of a, a sitcom or any kind of like a TV show that just goes on and on. But um, this was fun because Conspiracy is actually one of my favorite episodes of season one um, because it's just like, oh, it, it's just so mysterious and everything. And so this is the start of that. And so for that reason, I was excited to see it. Having said that, watching the episode and watching Remick was like so painful. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy is such a jerk. He just, yeah, he just made my teeth like he set my teeth on edge just the mm-hmm. way he was talking and and the way that the actor came across like slamming his hands on the table and standing mm-hmm. up and being like are you afraid i'm going to find something mm-hmm. okay so last wednesday where were you <laughs> like that doesn't okay he was this... good he was good cop bad cop rolled into one yeah he was he was he was like bipolar multiple personality good cop bad cop <laughs> yeah and like you said he did ask pers- pertinent questions but he asked them in like the most rude and abrasive way yes. but we'll get to that yes All right, so let's open up this episode. Um, It starts off with this very distraught-looking, like, 18-year-old or some youth. No, Yeah, probably, like, another 15-year-old. His name's Jake. Jake, yes, and he's looking upset. And Wesley runs up, and he's like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. And we're going, what is this about? But it is nice to see. I just thought, oh, Wesley has a little friend, finally. I thought Wesley was breaking up with him (laughs) from the way he was like, Hey, we we need to talk. Can we talk? I was just like, oh, what is going on here? Like, <laughs> what situation just happened between these two? And then I heard the conversation. I was like, oh, oh, that's yeah. Sweet. That's so really it looks sweet. like they were both testing, or they were both trying out to get into this like super special Starfleet Academy entrance exam. And Jake didn't make it, and Wesley did. So Wesley mm. is being a good friend and and feeling sorry for his you know, for his friend who really wanted it. But did you notice that Dr. Crusher orders Wesley to report to transporter room eight? <gasps> no, I did not notice transporter that. Transporter room eight up in here. Woo-hoo! Ladies and gentlemen, we have just now seen for the first time ever transporter room eight. Yeah. And probably only. <laughs> yeah. We need to keep a track. We need to keep a track of whenever we see the other supposed 27 transporters yes. on the ship. Yes. Make a okay, cameo so appearance. In, in the episode one, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one mouthful um we learn that the enterprise has at least 20 transporter rooms because the scene cut out as the transporter rooms are being counted so this is the first time i've ever heard report to transporter room eight i was like ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> thank god i was listening to that background in that other episode because i would have been like eight what are you even talking about eight <laughs> It makes you feel, it makes me feel like the entire enterprise is nothing but transporter rooms. But anyways. Yes, and cargo holds, yeah. <laughs> and cargo holds, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so they, so he goes to transporter room eight and we see kind of a couple of key senior staff members wishing him well and his mom gives him a big hug and he's going off to test for Starfleet Academy. Do you notice he doesn't even take anything with him? He's just like, ready. <laughs> it's like, you don't even, usually when they travel, they take one of those little like super cool looking like cylindrical like hard cases right right i was like oh he didn't even pack anything nope i mean i guess like camp i guess like camping or going off to boarding school or something like they've got everything you need yeah i guess and he only wears that sweater every day so like whatever (laughs) you can wrap 
Plus you can replicate clothes in the future. So you don't actually need to, and then you can recycle it in the replicator. You don't actually need to bring anything with you. So I, I did think about that. I did think about that. And you know what? I figured you would say that. <laughs> I was like, Sharice <laughs> is probably going to mention that he needs, he can replicate his clothes. So, okay. I love this transporter sequence. I don't know if you noticed it. Wesley disappears. And like one second later, Admiral Quinn and Commander Remick appear. I absolutely noticed that. And then I was like, wait, so you need one person to beam down before you can beam someone up? Pretty sure you could do that at the same time. No, I mean, <laughs> like, you, I don't you know if you guys could. are using your technology to the, to the best of its ability. You could, but I feel like it's a little bit like an elevator. Some people have to get off before some people can get on. But I feel like it's exactly not that. As a transporter... That's its whole function. However, from a special effects perspective, it looked a lot better to have it go in sequence than yeah. to have it at the same time. Because then you could really appreciate like the cool glitter water mm-hmm. that they use to make that mm-hmm. transporter look. You could really appreciate it as Wesley disappears and as the Admiral shows up. So part of me was just like, you don't need to wait. Like technology-wise, you just push the button and it happens instantaneously. Yeah. But as a viewer, I was like, oh, that's so nice. Like, it is. So, like that. It was, it was nice. very satisfying. It was really mm-hmm. satisfying. Yeah. Um, so Admiral Quinn comes aboard. Remick isn't really saying much, but Quinn is like, I need to speak to you, Picard. And I think he calls him Jean-Luc. So they've known each other for years. Yeah. And he goes, okay, well, Commander Riker, why don't you join us? And he goes, alone. Like, nobody. Mm-hmm. So this is the start of that conspiracy. And I wrote in my nototes, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <That's what I wrote. laughs> it's like, this is super cool. Like now something is happening. And, and he talks to Picard and he gives him really no information, just saying this ship is under investigation and you are ordered to cooperate fully. Which I feel like he could have said in front of Riker. That did not need yes. to be a backroom conversation. And I always just felt like this is like such a big picture of, I don't want to say toxic leadership because I don't actually know what that phrase means, but I do want to say it's crappy leadership to be like, listen to me and I will not explain myself. It's just like, you don't have to explain everything, but you have to give me something. It doesn't breed a sense of trust. Trust. Exactly. There's no sense of, it doesn't breed a sense of confidence at all. No. And it doesn't make me want to want to participate and help out when you're just like, this is above your head. Do as I say. It's like, yeah. wait a minute, you came on my ship, buddy. Like, you yeah. need to tell me something. And then, and then we've got, you know, Rikers out there. Everybody's freaking out. Everyone's like, what the heck is going on? And, you know, Rikers being left in the dark, which is not the way that their crew is structured. No. The, the bridge crew's being left in the dark, which is not the way it's structured. Like, even if they're secrets, um, Picard will tell them something, right? So mm-hmm. that they at least, you know, have that confidence, have that trust. And so when Picard, when Rikers, like, I'm going to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. I was just like, Ooh, Picard's going to get it. Yeah. And, and he's just like, do you know what's going on, sir? And he's just like, no, I don't even know what's going on. You know, even if I knew I couldn't tell you, but I don't even know. So we yeah. just have to cooperate. Oh, well. Yeah. See that, that is, that's exactly why I thought Riker could have been in on that meeting. I agree with you because the tiny little bit that Quinn told to Picard, Picard immediately told Riker when Riker asked, like, we're under investigation and we have to cooperate. End of sentence. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. <laughs> That's all he said. You could have said that in the transporter room in front of Remick and the transporter chief. He could have said that in front of Wesley. <laughs> like, everybody has to cooperate. End of sentence. That's it. Like, just leave it at that. But, all right. So, down on the planet, Wesley meets a girl, a very pretty girl, whose name is Oliana, and she has already heard of him. So Wesley's reputation like precedes him, which I think is pretty mm-hmm. awesome. It precedes him. So 
he's like, what? People know who I am. Like, Wesley's got a little bit of like, it's like a little bit of like a Harry Potter moment where it's like, people mm-hmm. know about me? Really? Cool. So then we see um, a Romulan and then we see Mordok, who's a Benzite alien. First time we've ever seen this alien race. Can we just talk for a minute about how freaking cool his costume was with that like steam inhaler? Yeah, with his little breathing tube so he can breathe like the right like mixture of oxygen and nitrogen or whatever he breathes on his watery planet. This people is the opposite of the Antikins and the Sele. Yep. This is glorious. This is beautiful craftsmanship. Like his monster makeup is gorgeous. Yeah. And that little addition of the of the breathing apparatus was so novel. I was just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's true because if you think about it on the ship, it's like everyone's breathing the same oxygen, nitrogen mixture of atmosphere that you would find on earth, mm-hmm. but supposedly we're all from different planets. And so you would have different kinds of atmosphere. So yeah, that does make sense. And I think the reason they did it for him though, is cause he's kind of like an aquatic um, alien. Yeah, and so they're trying yeah. to show like, Oh, he needs to have like, he needs to breathe water or whatever. Yeah, it's almost like a, he's like amphibious almost or something. Right. Right. But whatever. It was still amazing. It was brilliant. And you know, you're absolutely right. So the Antigans and the Sele were just around for one episode and Mordok is only around for one episode mm-hmm. in a subsequent season. We do see one other Benzite and that's it. So, it, so Mordok is essentially like a throwaway costume, but it's amazing. Yeah. It's in, it's in diametric opposition to the quality of, the Antigans and the Sele, which were also throwaways, but this mm-hmm. guy, oh my God, Mordok's outfit and the makeup and the steam and how he like only from time to time kind of leans into it. So it's not like constant. Yeah. Yes. It's not like constant and grading. It was, I mean, I was like kudos to the costuming and makeup department mm-hmm. because they absolutely slayed it. It was glorious. It was one of the, I, I'm going to vote this best monster makeup of season one, hands down. I might have to agree. I mean, I'll look back through, but like it was, it was pretty cool. Maybe we'll yeah. have to say best, best monster makeup of an alien that looks totally non-earthly, right? Cause we yes. had some, some really cool earth makeups where it's just like the little nose ridges Yeah, like yeah. in our, in our episode with the, with the drug dealer aliens and the drug addict aliens. Yes. They had some little nose ridges and I thought that was actually kind of nice. It was a yeah. nice subtle costume. It's not, yeah, yeah. It's a subtle difference, but it's not like, it's not this gigantic, huge thing. Um, I mean, also, I think we can't really continue this conversation without mentioning how amazing Worf's makeup is, like his Klingon makeup. And Oh, yeah. His has been amazing from the beginning. From the beginning. From the absolute beginning, he's been fabulous. So, but as far as like guest aliens go, mm-hmm. I give this like the top, the, yep. the actual, the, like the top grade. It, it's amazing. Yep. So We'll give it 11 fingers up. <laughs> <laughs> Remick, back on the ship, Remick is poking around and just rubbing everybody the wrong way. He's asking questions of Riker, and Riker and Remick have this extremely dramatic, like, tell me where he was on the night of the 13th. And Riker's like, why do you want to know? You know, it's just very intense. And Riker and Remick are clashing. And one point, they have a clash, like, in full view of everyone on the bridge. Yeah, this moment was so awesome. I totally wrote it down. I was like, whoa, Riker just totally put Remick on blast. Mm -hmm. Because Remick is like, I'm ready for you now. He was going around like, see, there's a way to do these things, right? He could have done this in a very, like, okay, I'm going to be meeting with your staff one at a time. I'm going to call you in, yada, yada. Like, he could have done it that way, but he didn't. He decided to be like, I'll call you when I'm ready to call you. You know, just being a jerk about it. And so he's like, all right, Riker, it's your turn. He's just like, no, not now. And he's like, I said you need to come on. And he was like, I said not now. And just Mm -hmm. walks away. And I was like, ooh. And everybody's just looking. It's like that moment on the schoolyard when you're like, 
are they going to fight? <laughs> Everyone's yeah. just looking. And the second someone swings, everyone's going to go around them in a big circle going, fight, fight, fight. Yes. No one's breaking this up. No. Everybody wants to see this happen. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Remick is a terrible example of somebody who's given some power. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is the correct phrase, but I often use it. Um, but people like this, I think of as jealous of the little power that they have. Like mm-hmm. they have a, they have a nickel's worth of power and they're treating it like a hundred dollar bill <laughs> where yeah. it's like, I've got all this power over you and you're going to do as I say. And I've, I've noticed people in position of power who are successful are often like a soft touch. They're not mm-hmm. throwing their weight around. And, and if it comes to like something severe where you have to throw your weight around, it's so much more impactful if you haven't just spent your entire career throwing your weight around, mm, you know, it's yeah. like somebody who never gets angry. And then when they get mad, you're like, oh crap. Right. right? There's a noticeable difference. Mm-hmm. Yes. At Remick running around demanding people answer his questions. It's just absolutely the wrong way to do it. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Data was the only one who was just like, I'm happy to answer your questions where everybody else was just like, <laughs> what, what do you want, Remick? Like, get yeah. out of here, you know? And yeah, and I love the scene too. I mean, this is pretty much, I don't know how much detail we'll get in with Remick because this is, it's like a one trick pony. Basically, yeah, he, interviews he, sucks. The, he interviews the crew one by one by one and he asks them the same questions like, tell me the truth, this and this and that. And he's trying to like, try good cop, trying bad cop. And so he, he's just trying, pivoting, trying different things. And it's very unsuccessful. He has this moment with data where he's like, you're an Android. You can't lie. Look at the data. Tell me what's wrong. This data is, is you know, it, it's indeniable, undeniable that Picard is like dirty, right? Mm-hmm. And data is like, no, it's your, it's your premise that's flawed. Like your assumption is flawed because all of this information is actually accurate. And you're right. I can't lie. So that is the end. I loved that. He just put him in his place. Data put Remick in his place so perfectly. In a very unemotional matter of fact. Just matter of fact. And can't be emotional because he's an android, but amazing mm-hmm. that he just said, it stands to reason that if our information is correct, then the premise upon which you have based your assumption is incorrect. And that's the only explanation. It's like, oh, oh, yep. oh, Dana, thank you. Thank you. You just karate chopped him in the neck. Yep. <laughs> which if he did, his head would probably fall off. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do like though, the, the way that the scene is constructed when Remick is interviewing and it goes mm-hmm. back and forth between like, you see data's face and then Remick's face. And then when you see Remick's face, you assume it's going to pan back to data, but then now it's Worf and then now it's yep. Dr. Crusher. And then it's yep. Council Troy. It's like, that oh, was a really wow, beautifully that's... done scene because it also explained his, like why he was like, tell me the truth. Now tell me the truth. Like it explains why he was mm-hmm. doing that because he was kind of changing with each person. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that it very elegantly shows how tedious and how time consuming all of his interviews have been, but they did it beautifully in just a short little span of time to show like, Mm -hmm. you're still in the room and now it's Dr. Crusher. And now it's, and I love Dr. Crusher's responses too. She just was like, this is none of your business. Like, and she said it in the nicest way because he was trying mm -hmm. to be good cop on her, right? He was all like, you can tell me anything you say is confidential. And she's (laughs) just like, (laughs) <laughs> my relationship is none of your business. Yeah. So suck so it. Sweet. Yeah. So sweet. <laughs> like I can be just as sugary sweet. Are we done now? Yes. Uh, it was really cool too because you got to see like a little glimpse of each character's personality as well, which was really cool. I actually do. I do really like how they did that scene and they showed like a span of time in mm-hmm. like just a quick few seconds that really was, it was perfect. It was like the perfect bite-sized mix. It was, it really was. So Wes is on the planet. 
and these are the two storylines going on. We have the Remick. We've kind of done with that until the end. Yeah. Now we've got Wesley's storyline and what's going on with him. So he's on the planet. He meets this girl who's like, you're, it's a good thing you're cute or else you'd be obnoxious. And he's like, she thinks I'm cute. Oh my God. First time having a crush, maybe. I totally saw that. And I was like, oh my God, that sums up Wesley perfectly because mm. you and I yeah. as little girls were like, he's so cute, right? Yep. We had these like yep. little girly crushes on him as little kids. But that explains perfectly why in re-watching this series for this podcast, I'm like, God, yeah, Wesley is obnoxious. Like he's just written as an obnoxious character. And it is a good thing he's so adorable because otherwise mm-hmm. it'd be like, shut up, just shut mm-hmm. up. Which of course, which is where shut up Wesley comes from. But yeah, she basically summed up how the audience feels. Like the good thing <laughs> you're cute. All the girls in the audience felt. Yeah. <laughs> all the young and, girls. <laughs> and, and plenty of young boys too, I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Just, you know, yeah. But- Although so far all the male guests we've had have just very much hated Wesley. <laughs> very, very much. But I'm sure there's some out there who did it. <laughs> yeah. Our guests have been so far have been the first to jump on the like, let's dump on Wesley train. But anyway, so yeah, he has this little crush um, and he's pretty much killing it on the exams, which I had a problem with the exam because the exam does the same question for the four of them. Mm-hmm. And just, it gives the question it like reads the question to you or like it announces the question. So you can't even like read it, which I'd have a problem with because Mm -hmm. if you gave me a math question to solve like audibly, Mm -hmm. I'd have a problem with that. Give me something to look at. Give me something to, I I didn't like that. I was like, this is a terrible, this is a terrible exam. This exam is awful. Yeah. Not, not only is the exam kind of weird, but it's like, the exam's not just what they're looking at on their screens. The exam's happening in the hallways. The exam's happening in the holodeck. The exam's happening throughout their time yes. on this, wherever they are, on the station or the ship mm-hmm. or wherever they are. Um, and um, at the beginning, the guy who's like administering the exam says to everybody, you guys need to expect the unexpected. And I just was like, I have never understood why people say that. You cannot expect the unexpected. You just like, can't. By definition, you don't expect it. So I'm like, what is that even? I don't, like, I've never understood when people say that. Like, what exactly do you mean you want me to be on my guard for weird things to happen? Do you mean you want me to not be surprised? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Expect the unexpected is just like the worst piece of advice I've ever heard in the history of advice. I think think you summed that up though perfectly. Those are two things. Like, should I be on my guard for weird things to happen? Should I not be surprised when strange things happen? But yeah, expect the unexpected. It's like saying plot twist and then walking away. It's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that information? Like, (laughs) I don't know. Now I don't know what's going to happen. And do I jump down somebody's throat if they bump into me in the hallway and is that part of the test or do I have to be polite because that might be some like, or is that part up. of the test? Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, because if it's not part of the test, I've just been a complete dick to somebody and that's going to reflect poorly on me. So now I don't know what to do. See that kind of stuff just gives me anxiety. I don't, I yeah. don't like it. I probably wouldn't be great at the Starfleet entrance exam. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> you and I might not, not, might not be getting into Starfleet, but that's okay. I also wouldn't apply it. I don't know if I would apply at 16. Like, no, I don't know. Maybe I'd wait a little bit. Maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. <laughs> um, okay. So can we talk about the super cool moment where Jake steals the shuttlecraft and is off to like join, <laughs> he's basically like running away to join the circus. 
That's exactly what he's doing. The space <laughs> circus. He's going to go join the Ferengi. He's going to he's going to go join. <laughs> he's jo- he's going to join a freighter. He's basically doing the like I'm going to hop on a train and be a hobo for a while. Like he's, a, he's got his stick and his bag with what's even in that bag? <laughs> Nothing because the because the replicator can do anything you need. <laughs> He doesn't even have a stick in a bag. He doesn't even have a stick in a handkerchief. Yeah. <laughs> just, there's actually a name for that, but I always thought of that as like a hobo okay, bag. Of course, of course there is. Of course there's a name. Of course there's but, a name for that. There's a, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Behind the scenes wise, I found out that they only built a quarter of the space shuttle or the shuttlecraft mm-hmm. because that was all they really needed at the time and budget wise that, it, you know, there's not really a whole lot of like shuttlecraft scenes in season mm-hmm. one. So they built just the quarter of it and then they decided to kind of like separately build the rest for later season thinking like, mm-hmm. Ooh, we could actually do a lot of like shuttlecraft scenes. And mm-hmm. so they made this critical error where they built the pieces separately. And then when they went to join them, they didn't all fit. <laughs> so it was like the scale was off. So that was a, that was a whoopsie. Thank God you guys don't work for Boeing. <laughs> like playing pieces that don't fit. But anyway, there was that. And then did you notice it was basically like the lights behind him were just like Christmas lights, like white Christmas lights that were just no. sort of like behind. I didn't notice anything about, I just, I, all I noticed was he was in a shuttle. I didn't really pay attention to the, the little details because I was just more focused on the big the picture that this guy had just, yeah, that this kid has just stolen a shuttlecraft. Like I get that you're running away because whatever, like you feel like you failed and you don't want people to know, but maybe don't take a shuttle. Maybe you need to like do a site to site transport or something. Cause I was just like, you, that's like stealing a car. Like that's somebody else's property. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's absolutely. That's that. more what I was thinking. I was like, that's, that's like part of the ship. You, you can't send that back. Like well, what are you doing? <laughs> that's a problem. But the bigger problem is you're in a motherfucking shuttlecraft that can go quarter impulse power. And the enterprise is like, okay, I can go warp nine. <laughs> so I'm just going to follow you along until you decide to come back or we're going to tractor beam you or we're going to something. Right. So that was a bad idea. So he leaves the ship because he feels like a failure and he yeah. feels like he let down his dad and he, you know, he's just not up to snuff. So it was actually really good that Wes had come to check on him earlier because he was very right in intuiting that this kid's not doing well, even though he's like, oh, I guess it's okay. Like he's very, he's not doing well. He's not taking the setback well. And so then the, the shuttle kind of like loses attitude control and starts to like go into the atmosphere and it's like going to burn up and he's going to die. And, you know, this has suddenly turned into, this is kind of like the, the trope that we see a lot in season one. Suddenly someone's going to die. Um, this is like really awful, right? Because he's just like, I'm a failure. You know, I'm not worth anything. I'm getting out of here. And, you know, Picard's like, son, get back here, get back here right now, yeah. you know, get a tractor beam on him. Like, we, you know, this is not okay. And then all of a sudden now it's a life or death situation. Now he's not so like, whatever just let me die now he's like help me help me somebody help me like i changed my mind i want to come back you know i want to live yes i thought this is like so perfect because this is exactly what happens when you're at that age this is exactly what happens you do stupid crap and then you're like help me help me help me yes you make rash decisions and then you're immediately like oh no i need help absolutely so Mm -hmm. picard has this good leader moment which we've talked about we talked about this in our intro episode where one of the things that we love about picard is he's tried a couple of things but the space shuttle is now about to enter the atmosphere of the planet. It's going to burn up. And so he goes, options. Because the tractor beam's not going to work. They can't mm-hmm. transport him out because there's too much interference magically. So he yep. does options. 
And it is such a wonderful Picard moment. And that really encapsulates what makes Picard such a great leader because he is not the person, he's not a toxic leader that's like, I have all the answers all the time. Or the kind of leader who's like, you're just going to listen to me and I'm not going to give you any information and I'm not going to trust you so that you don't have to trust me. Yeah, exactly. He's not just, just do what I say and this kid will be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I love those scenes when he does that. This is the kind of leader I want to be. I want to be the yes. kind of person who's like, the crap is hitting the fan options. Yes. Like, that's why I surround myself with smart, capable people so they can help fill in the gaps when all my ideas have run out. Card guides Jake to safety by telling him to, like, steer the ship right towards the planet and then kind of bounces it right off the atmosphere mm-hmm. and they bring him back. And Remick, in the midst of all of this, when Jake is about to die... Remick is like, this is on you if you don't fix it. It's like, get out of my way or get off the bridge. Like, or I will have you removed. And I went, yes. Yes. Like, talk about moments of anxiety. This was my moment of anxiety. When yeah. Picard's like getting options and he's trying to figure it out. And he's like, all right, I've got an idea. Do exactly what I say. If you do exactly what I say, I'm going to get you home and you're going to be fine. And he's all like, tell my dad, I'm sorry. No, you're telling your dad yourself, follow my instructions. And Remick's like, He's going to die. He's going to die. And it's all your fault. Like, I wanted to smack him. That was so anxiety producing for me. Remick, you're sitting, your entire job has been to walk around questioning people's decisions that they made in the heat of the moment and point out how, like, poor those decisions may have been. And then now you're taking valuable time that could cost this kid his life to remind Picard that he's under the gun. Don't you think he knows that? Right. Captain Obvious, thank you. And yes, go Commander away. Obvious. He wouldn't. He wouldn't even make it to Captain Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Commander <laughs> Obvious, buddy. So Picard comes up with this new Picard maneuver and bounces the kid off of the atmosphere. And then- <laughs> I'm sorry, I need that on a t-shirt. Bounces the kid off the atmosphere. He bounces the shuttlecraft off the atmosphere. Okay, the shuttlecraft <laughs> containing the kid off of the atmosphere. And, um, and saves the day. And it's like such a big moment. Everyone's like, yeah, you know, high fiving and everything. Um, because this kid's alive and he's like so relieved. And then later on, Jake is walking past Picard and he just try to keep his head, keeps his head down and try to walk yeah. past real fast. So, like he doesn't yeah. notice. And Picard's like, um, excuse me, young man. And he's like, oh crap. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised that they didn't have a little debrief the second they beamed his butt back onto the ship or yeah. whatever, got the shuttlecraft into the shuttle bay. Um, but yeah, I'm like, you, you, you definitely, I mean, but again, this is like perf classic 16 year old, right? Like this is the kind of thing you actually have to have a conversation about. We can't pretend like this didn't just happen. No. Right. But you're a kid. So you're like, Oh, maybe if I just keep my eyes closed, maybe we won't have to yeah. talk about it. Um, and then we have this really special moment with them in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Well, and, and honestly, when does pretending it never happened ever work? Well, it's, I'm going to go with never. Yeah. I'm going to go with never too, because I think People who are desperately trying to avoid an uncomfortable situation could pretend like it never happened and that may feel good for the moment, but it's like a cancer. It's just going to get worse and worse. Like you have to address it. You have to address things like that have to be addressed. Anyway, so back on the planet, they're doing that test and Wesley helps Mordock because Mordock's like starting to lose his grip. He's like, I can't do it. It's, it's going too fast as well. Whatever the test is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in helping Mordock, Wesley cost himself like 
precious seconds. And Mordock ended up finishing the test with Wesley's help, like first, and then Wesley finished a very close second. Um, and I like that Mordock is a likable character. When mm-hmm. when the commander in charge comes in and he's like, great job, you know, Mordock, he, he, record time or whatever. Mordock is like, actually, I can't even take the credit. Like Wesley helped. And, and luckily that commander is like, we know, like we saw the whole thing, mm-hmm. but we still commend you guys all for like doing a good job, whatever. So I thought that was really nice. Like that showed nice character on Wesley's behalf, which you hope you you know is there, and on Mordock's behalf too, that he wasn't just like a slime ball, just like took the glory and ran right, off with it. Right, that would have been like what that jerk. And then also yeah. Wesley, w- this was another moment where Wesley was not being obnoxious because yeah. he could have easily been like, oh, the only reason he finished first was because I helped him. Yeah, but he did nothing like that. He just sat there quietly, and was just like, yeah, he finished first. Like okay, like that's fair and square. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. Then, okay. So then Wesley has his big test. Actually, let's back up a little bit. Before Wesley has his big test, their final test is like they have to face their greatest fears. And he's freaking out about this because he's like, but what could it be? Like, what is my greatest fear? And so he's hanging out in the, um, in the, um, holodeck holodeck. I was like transporter room. What is that box (laughs) called? He's hanging out in the holodeck. Just like, just kind of standing there. He's not even running a program and Worf walks in for some strange reason. Hey guys, what's going on over here? (laughs) (laughs) It's the counselor Troy coming in to the transporter room in Haven. Hey guys, what's going on here? Nothing. All right. I'll go to the cargo hold. Yeah. He comes, he comes in as if he's like trying to fix something inside the holodeck. But when do you have to be in the holodeck to fix the hall? I don't know. Anyway. So he walks in like, Hey guys, what's going on? And he sees, um, he sees Wesley and then he gives him actually like a lot of really good and wise advice. And he, Tells him that, you know what, thinking about what you can't control only wastes energy and it creates its own enemy. And I was just like, ooh. And then so they have this conversation and then he's like, listen to me, only fools have no fear. Mm-hmm. Because he was like, Worf, I thought you weren't afraid of anything because you're this big, strong warrior. And he was like, only fools have no fear. Yeah. Everyone should be afraid of something. You know, and I just feel like this episode was just like this quote magnet, like quote after quote. I was just like, yes. oh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. Unlike our, our next episode we're reviewing next week, which has just trash quotes, like it's just horrible. I was, it's such a <laughs> contrast for me. But this one, I was like, man, these quotes are so are just so good. And like They're very quotable. Yeah. And I feel like everything Worf was saying to Wesley was just like just words to live by, right? This has, this is not just this test. This is just life. It was, it was a variation of there's nothing to fear, but fear itself Mm -hmm. kind of thing where Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. And I like that the person giving Wesley that bit of wisdom was the character who seems to fear nothing at all. Mm -hmm. So if, if, um, you know, if like probably better, better work than Yar, right? Yeah. Worse than Yar or worse than better work than Troy right you know who would have tried to like therapize him or whatever and if she says like of course I have fears you're like okay well yeah that's like believable but Worf who's like charging into battle fearlessly mm-hmm. it's like but his mm-hmm. fears are different they're not conflict-based you know they're more internal but anyway it was I think that that was the perfect person to give him that advice so yeah. he's so let's talk about we're kind of going out of sync but let's talk about his psych test what it was mm-hmm he was told to wait in this room and they're like, your test will begin shortly. Just hang out here for a while. So he goes and hangs out and then he hears this explosion and he's kind of like, hello, like goes out into the hallway, like something. Okay. And there's some industrial accident that's happened. He goes in to the room where the accident has happened and stuff has collapsed and in danger of dying and contamination field is about to, you know, break or whatever. And really he can only like 
save one person mm-hmm. because there's a guy who's injured and then there's a guy who's like in the corner and he's like too scared to like come out. Mm-hmm. And he kind of is trying to coach the guy to come out, but he won't. And he eventually just goes, all right, I need to drag this guy on the floor to safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as he's dragging him, did you notice he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's dragging the guy. Yeah. Out. Because he starts, he's like, help me, help me with this heavy thing. And he's just like, I can't, I can't move. And he's like, you're not injured. Stand up. Like as he's yeah. pulling this guy, who's like multiple times his weight, he's, he's a very petite, you know, teenage yeah. boy. Yeah. And he's pulling this grown man. And he's just like, you're not injured. You can move. You can walk. You can do this. Come on, stand up. Let's go. Like he's giving him some really firm coaching and also um, empowering him really to be able to save his own life. Yeah. And then, yeah, he does, he does realize the guy's just not going to move and he doesn't have time for both of them. And the doors are going to close in 13 seconds and he's got to get this other guy out. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I'm really sorry. You're, you're okay. You can come with us, but I can't, I can't save you both. I'm really sorry. And you're just like, Oh yeah. Just like such yeah. a, such a, really dramatic moment (laughs) it was it was but the reason that this was the perfect psych test for wesley is because the man who was not injured was basically his dad like that's the same way his dad died and captain picard was in wesley's shoes where he had to choose Mm -hmm. who to try to save and i think it was this like beautifully written sort of poignant lesson Mm -hmm. in like you're not guilty for the death of that crew member you you could only save so many people and this guy was able to come but was paralyzed with fear and couldn't come so i think that that actually gave wesley like a nicer understanding of his father's death and i think jack crusher died when wesley was like very very little like Mm -hmm. much younger than 15 so i imagine that he always felt some resentment towards the captain because jack crusher was on Picard's away team. Mm-hmm. And so Picard was responsible for his death in, in a manner of speaking. But I think that was, I think that was really like a nice way to sort of show Wesley, like, Hey man, it's actually not anybody's fault. Like you did the best you could. Yeah. And I also, I really like that too. And I like how we get a little backstory of Wesley and of Beverly and their previous relationship with Picard, because we know that we, we heard glimpses that Picard was responsible for Jack's death um, but we also see that Beverly and Picard have like a little thing going because that was like his best friend, which is, I mean, how much does that suck for Picard? Um, and yeah. also that he was kind of a second father to Wesley. Yeah. So you're kind of like, well, how is he responsible for their death? But also they have such this, such a good relationship with him. And then this kind of shows it where it's like, ah, okay. Like Wesley was too little to really fully understand what was going on. And he was really imprintable. So he couldn't, he couldn't have that grudge like a hundred percent. It was also like, but he was the guy who was there for me yeah, and like all of that. Yeah. And so for him to see that, and you, you even hear it when he says like, Oh, you wanted to show me this because of the captain. I mean, because it was nobody's fault, right? Like he, he even didn't want to say that it was Picard's fault. Right. Even though like in his mind, he had been thinking that. Yeah. Um, and then he was able to not only forgive the captain, but also know in himself, like I can, I can lead and I can make hard choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it was really, really good. It was a great test for Wesley. Um, mm-hmm. And he passed it. I mean, and, and the commander said that like, there's really no right or wrong choice. Um, but it just sort of gives us a little glimpse into like how you might handle a situation like this. And especially one that is so deeply ingrained in you. Anyway, mm-hmm. so Remick is sitting here, you know, still interviewing all these people and he finally gets to Picard and Picard says, the only thing I'm guilty of is allowing this charade to continue as long as it has. So he finally goes to Quinn and he's like, 
what the hell is going on? Like start explaining or I'm kicking you both off my ship. <laughs> you mm-hmm. Explain. And mm-hmm. Admiral Quinn lets Picard know that something is threatening the fabric of the Federation and everything that they've spent the last 200 years building. And they don't know if the threat is coming from the inside or the outside. So they didn't know if they could be sure of Picard and if he's, you know, compromised in some way, but I wish this was teased out a little more, but they just kind of leave it at that. And they're like, okay, now that we know that you're clean, we want to offer you a promotion to Admiral and we want to give you the position of commandant of Starfleet Academy. Right. Because we're afraid that there may be a a mole or something on the inside Mm -hmm. of Starfleet bringing it down. So we want you to be in charge of shaping all of our new minds who come into the Academy so that Starfleet will not be compromised in the future. We don't want like a, you know, some kind of double agent in that position compromising all of the new recruits. Absolutely. So he takes, he takes a moment to think about it and he actually decides not to take the offer to be Admiral and Commandant of Starfleet. Um, And then we learn down on the planet that Mordok is actually offered the position at Starfleet Academy because only one out of four can get it, (laughs) which is sucky, but all right. But he does say the commander does say it would be a shame if the three of you did not come back next year to test uh, because Mm -hmm. your scores were very, very close. And Mordok again shows that good character. He's like, but I only passed that test because Wesley helped me. And I like that the commander validated that. He's like, yes, he did help you. And you did get a faster time than him, but it wasn't just that. Like there were other factors that just made you a better Mm -hmm. candidate. And I think Wesley Mm -hmm. just totally, took it in stride so well. Like my little heart was like, Oh, Wesley, good for you, buddy. Like Mm -hmm. you're hanging in. He was just like, you deserved it, man. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yes. Okay. Yeah. He took it a lot better than Jake. Right. Cause like, he's not not going to steal one quarter of a shuttlecraft (laughs) and take off. (laughs) Yeah. Jake was not a good candidate, man. He showed that immediately. But back... Right? So he, so Wesley comes back up to the ship, and he has this moment with Picard where Picard actually reveals that he himself failed his first attempt at the Starfleet entrance exam. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, okay. He has flaws. And this was such a beautiful moment, too, between them, because you don't see a lot of heart-to-heart between Picard no. and Wesley because he doesn't like kids, even though he had a heart-to-heart with Jake like 10 seconds earlier. But you don't really see... But I mean, he did save his life. So that's like a special case. He usually doesn't have heart to heart with children on the ship. Um, but you see this moment where he's like, all right, I'll let you into the secret. And he was also telling him like, this actually made me cry. This was very sweet. I, I could just be hormonal, but it did make me cry seeing, um, seeing Wesley being like, you know, like in that, in the dark waiting in there just saying like, are you disappointed in me? Right? Like this is the guy who's supposedly responsible for his father's death, but he still wants his approval and he still sees him like a father figure. And he's like, I failed you. I failed the entire enterprise. Like I failed everybody here because everyone was expecting me to, to pass because I'm this wonderkins. I'm this child genius. And I, and I failed. And like, aren't you, aren't you disappointed in me? And isn't everybody going to be disappointed in me? And Picard's just like, did you do your best? And he's like, well, yeah, of course. And he's like, well, then you didn't fail. So shut up. Yeah. You know, he's just like, you're fine. Like, that's what you did. You do your, you do your best and that's how you don't fail. It's not about passing the test. It's about doing the best that you, again, just so super quotable. Um, and then he lets him in on the secret that he didn't pass. And then he's like, and if you ever tell anyone about this, it's like, uh, okay. So we still want everybody to think that you're totally perfect. Okay. Got it. So still some areas to grow. <laughs> yeah. Like I really felt that like in my heart, when he said, I'm going to let you in on this little secret, I didn't pass the first time. And I felt that specifically because the first time I took my driver's ed test, 
I didn't pass. And I didn't pass by just a little bit, but I was so devastated. And for somebody to be like, you know what? I actually like didn't pass my first attempt as well. Mm-hmm. Would have been like, okay. Cause then, you know, you get to try again in two weeks and I tried again two weeks later and I passed and it was fine. But that really like, for me, that felt like you failed your first attempt too. Oh my God. Thank you. Like you're not mm-hmm. this like impervious wall of perfection, you know? And that felt, that felt like a nice humanizing moment. Mm-hmm. I agree. That was kind of the end of our episode. Do you have any final thoughts on this episode? Yes. Okay. We skipped a piece. Ooh. So at the, so when, um, Quinn and Picard are talking and he's like, okay, you know, now I know, now I understand. And, and, you know, that's why Remick was being such a jerk is because he was looking for something and Remick comes in and he gives his report to Quinn where he's just like, I tried my hardest. I tried every trick in the book. I like threw everything at everybody. right. Right. And he was just like, but I couldn't find anything. No one would crack. Like as much as I dug and dug, I couldn't find anything wrong here. And he was like, I failed you, sir. I'm so sorry. And Quinn's like, no, that's fine. And it's like, so his job was, so he was, he was, so Quinn wasn't even being totally honest with Remick. Yes. He basically, Quinn basically told Remick, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark and you need to find out what it is. And that's, and that was kind of awful because this poor guy is going, it's like telling a, you know, it's like telling a a kid, like I, I hid a treasure somewhere in the house and they're running around and running around and you don't know if there's a treasure or not. They don't know. And when they can't find it, it's like, I couldn't find it. I did really like the moment that he said, the only thing maybe I, I would note is that maybe a little sense of like overly familial or like everybody's a little overly familiar with each other, but that kind of comes from like a sense of teamwork and family. Mm-hmm. And I went, cool. It's nice to see that in season one, which still like the characters weren't fully developed. Like it, that was really nice to see. Did you like that moment when he said, my tour of duty is almost over and I would like to be placed on the enterprise. I love that scene. He does the biggest, the biggest eye roll in the galaxy. <laughs> he didn't even respond to that. I would love to be placed on the enterprise, sir. Uh, no, that's never going to happen. Not in a million years. Picard essentially pursed his lips and said nothing as though somebody had just placed like a big pile of cabbage right in front of him. And he was like, mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) immediately Mm -hmm. and so then he's like he's like uh okay and he walks out still hopeful that maybe he could get placed at on the enterprise and it's like you've just alienated every single member of the bridge crew everybody hates you and you want to now be like just kidding guys let's be friends that's not happening you know i love i you're right i could totally picture remick walking out of that room and taking a deep breath and being like ah that went well. You know, like you walk out of an interview and you're like, aced it, but like, you're never fucking getting hired, dude. Nobody wants you around. Nope, not at all. (laughs) It was terrible. Um, So yeah, I know we did skip that. Gosh, I think we did. I mean, this wasn't like a total standout episode. So let's just move on. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. Awesome. So Sharice, thank you for geeking out with me. Next week, guys, we are reviewing season one, episode 19, Heart of Glory. Uh, That one's got a little meat on the bone, so we'll dig into that next week. All right. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.